You're listening to How To OT. This is part two of our two episode release highlighting evidence-based interventions for OT practitioners working with clients who have dementia and their caregivers. This episode features an interview with Dr. Kathy Pearsall. As always, I'm your host, Matt Brandenburg. Let's get to the interview. Today, I am joined by Dr. Kathy Pearsall, who is the chair of the Department of Occupational Therapy at Jefferson College of Rehabilitation Sciences in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, Thanks for calling in today, Kathy. My pleasure. Now, we were connected through Carrie Birch, who is an occupational therapist at Memory Care Home Solutions uh, here in St. Louis, where where I am. And Mm -hmm. she shared with me that you have expertise in OT intervention for people with dementia um, and Alzheimer's as well. What led you to research and work on developing approaches specific to this population? Well, uh, before I launched uh, into a more of a research role in my career, I had been an occupational therapist for probably close to 20 years already, um, and had moved into academia and was going back to school for my PhD. And around that same time, uh, Dr. Laura Gidlin, who is in Philadelphia and was here at Thomas Jefferson University, uh, I was connected with Laura and uh, joined one of her studies that was testing a caregiver intervention. And it, although it was not the original randomized trial that ultimately became Skills to Care, it was basically a very similar uh, intervention <clears throat> called Advancing Caregiver Techniques. So I had the opportunity to be a research uh, participant and I delivered as an interventionist the intervention that we were testing. So that, and this was around the same time as I was launching my uh, PhD program, so it was a nice connection there into research. And I would say since that time, which was in 2002, I believe, I really haven't gone back, if you will. I so um, found working with caregivers and focusing in on dementia care Uh, something that I enjoyed, something that I felt uh, met a need of of the population. Uh, It was so rewarding, and I was also exposed to the research process. So since that time, I served as an interventionist in the Tailored Activity Program, and uh, which is TAP, and uh, the COPE program as well. And have continued to work in this area as a researcher. So I've kind of done, which is very um, uh, valuable to other researchers. So it's connected me with other research that are researchers that are doing similar types of programs because I have the experience of being a practitioner and an educator and now researcher. So um, it's an interesting set of skills that we bring, I think, as occupational therapists that have been in practice and then go into research. So since that time, uh, I came to Jefferson. I was not at Jefferson at the time that uh, this was launched. 
or my first affiliation with uh, Dr. Gitlin here at Jefferson. But there was an opportunity here to um, head a program, which is now called Jefferson Elder Care, where we're taking this evidence and translating it uh, into real world practice through training and uh, consultation. And we continue to advance um, all of these three programs that I mentioned, Skills to Care, TAP, and COPE. And I continue to work with Laura, uh, who is now the Dean at Drexel University. So it's full circle, but we're still doing work in this area. I don't see myself um, doing, you know, changing that in anytime soon in the future because it's uh, something that has such meaning to me. And that's actually where I uh, was exposed to memory care solutions and with their work that they're doing a translational project with the co-program and launching that. So it's opened a lot of doors for me and uh, it's been offered me the opportunity to meet some great people and great folks that are doing great work in this area. Thank you for sharing kind of some of the important aspects of your journey. And I think it is uh, really unique that you have a, a strong background in clinical practice and in education um, and now research. And that can really help. Uh, I, I would imagine that can really help you to help the, the research product or, or publications that come out of the research be more consumable to people and mm -hmm. also be easier to implement into what they do on a daily basis. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, really, I would say a mission, and I know I share this with the occupational therapist at Memory Home Care Solutions, is to <clears throat> promote through occupational therapy the, the best practice in dementia care and to instill an occupational therapist the unique and distinct value that we can play in the area of dementia care. You've mentioned those uh, three main protocol or, or interventions, the COPE programming. app programming. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's the, that's the right word. And then uh, skills to care. Um, yeah. We talked with Dr. Gitlin um, just a couple of days ago um, in pretty in-depth about COPE and TAP. Um, so I was wondering if we could uh, get a little in-depth into the Skills to Care program right now. Absolutely. So Skills to Care, uh, if you look in the literature, 2003, I think, was the first publication. It was originally called a, uh, the um, Environmental Skill Building Program, and it was essentially occupational therapists in the home environment assessing caregiver problems and caregiver needs and then delivering it within that within their environment to build their skills of caregiving. So that was a five-year randomized control trial that I think ended in the mid-2000s and what stemmed from that was a translational study around 2006 I believe Jefferson and Fox Rehab which is a <clears throat> private practice in this area, but I think they're across the country that does that provide home-based services. They collaborated and got funding to place the Environmental Skill Building Program, ESP it was called for short, into practice and to evaluate whether occupational therapists in a MedB home-based practice could deliver ESP and would it be uh, covered by Medicare and was it feasible for them to do. 
Those are the two basic questions that they addressed during this study. And fortunately, the answers to both of those questions were yes, it was reimbursed by Medicare because it was embedded within the occupational therapy plan of care as caregiver training, and <clears throat> it was feasible. So what we did with the ESP program is we did some market research and <clears throat> we essentially determined that ESP or environmental skill building program did not really make sense to the lay person nor to caregivers. They don't know what, what that means. So we did some um, investigating, some searching, some market research for names, and that's where the skills to care name came from is that that made sense. It hit home. We got a lot of positive feedback from different stakeholders about that name. So once the Skills to Care program was trademarked here at Jefferson, uh, since that time uh, launched, as I said, many of these different types of programs that result from uh, that work where we're training occupational therapists uh, across the country. Primarily, I would say OTs working in home health and similar practices like I described Fox Rehab does, and which is what Memory Home Care is doing as well, providing uh, outpatient services essentially in the home. But I will also say that ESP was the, I believe, the first comprehensive caregiver program that was tested here at Jefferson. The next program that really emerged from that was TAP, which you heard from uh, Dr. Gitland about the tailored activity program. And then COPE, which maybe Laura did say this, is really a combination of both of those programs. So Skills to Care focuses on caregiver education and identifying and addressing the uh, problems that a caregiver identifies in their daily life as a caregiver. And TAP is using specifically activities to address problem behaviors. And then COPE, has both of those components. So COPE includes uh, components of skills to care and addressing the problems that the caregiver identifies. And it also includes a specific activity component. But that's the evolution. Skills to care is kind of the, what started it all, if you will. What's nice about skills to care is that it is a caregiver intervention in that it is a consultation service that can stand alone as a consultation service for caregivers where you never, where the occupational therapist might not ever see the person with dementia, uh, but they're supporting the caregiver. Or as we have tested, and now it's being done this way, it can be embedded into a reimbursable occupational therapy service where um, we'll say Medicare will reimburse because it is an evidence-based program that is being delivered as the caregiver training and education, which of course Medicare um, would support, especially because it impacts uh, the patient's safety, their performance, and can, and can reduce behavioral, uh, behavioral symptoms as well as improve quality of life. So it's completely reimbursable through both Medicare Part A from home health care perspective and Med B from an outpatient perspective. That, that's great. I love to hear that it can be delivered in, in more than one approach. I think that can really help it be more accessible to more people. And I wanted to ask you specifically, what are some of the main skills that are um, the focus of the skills to care program? Some of these environmental skill building. What, what, uh... mm -hmm. So 
The program is built on a person environment conceptual framework where we know that the environment impacts the person's competence or their, the person's ability to participate and perform activities in their world. So that is the first step in occupational therapists who deliver skills to care, that concept and cope and uh, tap all the same. Uh, that's so important to understand that it is not, it's really a change for some occupational therapists in a paradigm. So just focus on this one, you know, just if you indulge me a moment, because mm -hmm. it is not a rehab model. It is really what we might call a habilitation model where we're optimizing performance, where we're modifying the environment, teaching caregiver skills, reducing the complexity of a task that actually change, can change the ability, the performance of the person with dementia, but we're not changing the dementia, of course, but we are having an impact on performance and on their quality of life, uh, as well as the caregiver. So it's so important for practitioners to understand that the paradigm you're coming from is more of optimizing their function, a habilitation model, not a rehab model. And oftentimes, uh, occupational therapists and others get stuck and don't move to that model with someone with dementia care. So from that model, we can help caregivers, which is what Skills to Care does, understand that themselves. Caregivers have to understand that um, the, the reason why a caregiver's mom, for example, is asking the same question over and over and over again during the day is because something is triggering her to do that. She was told on Monday that she has a doctor's appointment on Wednesday, but she can't remember what's going on, but she knows something is coming up. So she keeps asking her daughter, what am I doing? What am I doing? She's driving her daughter crazy. And really the simple solution is don't tell your mom that she has a doctor's appointment until you're walking out the door or you don't tell her she has a doctor's appointment. So the core of the skills to care program is to teach caregivers um, and to educate them because education is powerful and to educate them about dementia and how that is now really the reason why the, the symptoms of dementia and how it wreaks havoc on the brain is why their family member is acting or behaving the way that they are and that they have control over that, that they can change their behavior. So it's really an empowering program uh, to through education and practice of skills and strategies. So caregivers feel um, that they can enact and change the environment, change the task and enact strategies that will allow their family member to stay home longer, to um, engage in more activities. And a lot has to do with reducing the burden and the stress and the upset of the caregiver. And we know that it does that. Uh, so the, the approach is, is uh, coach, it's, uh, it's almost a coaching model where we're coaching caregivers to learn and practice and enact strategies that will uh, address the problems that they have identified. A core principle of the program is being uh, extremely and only very client-centered um, and client-directed. Uh, 
occupational therapists are trained to not tell the caregiver what they should do. You might walk into the home and think, I need to be removing throw rugs. I need to do this and that and the other thing. But if the caregiver wants to focus on the fact that her mom is not getting up in the morning and it's driving her crazy, that's what we're going to focus on. So it's very customized and tailored to the caregiver uh, and really addressing the problems that they're identified through this specific uh, protocol of problem solving, brainstorming, and then um, delivering uh, action plans uh, to the caregiver and having them practice over time and get feedback through their interactions with the occupational therapist. Uh, the core to it is really meeting the caregiver where they are. What are the problems that they're addressing? How much can they take in at one time? And really designing the intervention, the skills to care program, to meet their needs, and that's critical, which is a slightly different than what we do in medicine. In medical and healthcare, we tend to tell patients what they need. This, is, this flips that a little bit. We say, what do you need? What are the problems that you're addressing? How can we work together to solve these problems? And through this process, I'm going to teach you ways in which you can do this once I'm no longer with you. That's essentially what we're doing. I love to hear that, and I, I really believe that approaching intervention and medicine in general in this way really can lead to more lasting outcomes. That's great to hear. And I guess along with that, I want to ask how an OT practitioner could become certified in skills to care. Uh, at uh, Jefferson uh, and um, specifically Jefferson Elder Care, we have a uh, website where you can register for training and we have information on that website. We hold quarterly trainings, but we also will go to agencies uh, as well and travel and do training as depending on the number of people that an agency might want trained. I'm in the process of moving skills to care to, not moving, but adding to what we offer, uh, a train the trainer program. So we can uh, scale up and offer agencies the opportunity to train one or two or more of the occupational therapists that are certified in skills care to be trainers. So then it can come in-house, and as they hire new folks, they can be trained in-house. They no longer have to um, come to Jefferson. So we're, that's kind of what we're launching actually right now uh, with a couple of agencies, which is exciting because it's that means you can get the word out and more people can participate and you're, they're not tied to Jefferson because you really can't scale up an intervention like this unless you really identify ways in which you can let go of it and have, you know, move on and have agencies take over. So we are in the midst of doing that. But what everyone has to get originally trained and before they have a train the trainer program, they would come to Jefferson. So the, the program itself, the training program itself is a, is over time, uh, it takes a bit of time because we're committed to offering occupational therapists an opportunity to change behavior and to uh, make the intervention their own through a coaching process that occurs after the um, original training, the face-to-face -face training is completed. So we want the occupational therapist to go out and um, deliver skills to care and to put it into their practice, especially like what are the hiccups, what's not working, what is working. And we have five coaching sessions 
where we all meet there either on Zoom or on uh, the telephone in a teleconference where the occupational therapists share cases, share where they got stuck, share, share components of what's going on in their practice. So the trainer, myself, and two others do the training. We can respond to that and help them integrate it into their practice. You know how sometimes you go to training and it's wonderful, then you go back home and you continue to do what you were always doing. <laughs> and you're not, you don't implement this new uh, knowledge that you have. So of course we don't want that to happen. And so we find this coaching process is really helps occupational therapists embed it into their practice. And we want to coach them through that process. So for that reason, the whole, uh, from beginning to end, there's online modules you do. And then the, then when you have the live training, uh, that can take about six months to, to, I would say we average about six to seven months, six to eight months, um, because we want uh, occupational therapists to feel comfortable out in, in practice. So all of this is described on our website. And um, there are a registration form there or numbers to call if you have if anyone were to have more questions which they probably would in terms of anything about the training or the program uh, we're always so excited when an agency or occupational therapists are interested in getting trained absolutely and we'll uh, provide a link to the skills to care website in the episode description of of this show um, that any listeners will will be able to to refer to I really love the emphasis you guys place on coaching therapists or organizations on how to implement your programs. Each of your programs are very unique and different, um, but they also share common components. And I wanted to ask you if you would like to share with us a clinical example of how one of these programs has led to a positive health outcome. Yes. So many stories to tell. I think that any of these programs, TAP, COPE, or Skills to Care, has the potential, and we've seen this over and over, to change the life of the caregiver and the person with dementia. The Skills to Care program, which we've been talking about, mainly is focusing on the caregiver and giving them the skills, but we also are interacting with the person with dementia, uh, or at least having an impact on them through the education that we're doing. So, you know, caregivers who you know, report that they have tried for the last year to get their mom to take a shower and it is, you know, a, you know, down and dirty drag out fight and I can't take it anymore because uh, it just is too much for me and my mom will not understand that she has to take a shower. I tried to explain it to her. When we can help a caregiver understand, number one, trying to explain it to your mom is probably going to cause her to resist more. Common sense tells us, explain, give the rationale, and then the person will understand why. But that is counterintuitive when someone has dementia. Explaining and rationalizing is not what you do. So caregivers, if they understand that, if they learn that, and they, we can come up together with a strategy to get mom into the shower, which does not include ever mentioning the word shower, does not include setting it up by introducing that, okay, now mom, we're going to go because you have to get cleaned up 
and we are able to share strategies like turning the water on in advance, making the bathroom smell nice, keeping it warm, not mentioning the shower at all, happen to walk by the shower, by the bathroom and the shower's on and you walk in and you help your mom get in the shower and you're able to demonstrate that and move the caregiver through that process and support them through that and give them confidence that they need. When something like that happens, which is, it does, and you can change the caregiver's life and experience to being so frustrated that their mom won't take a shower to my mom is able to take a shower now once a week, you've changed their life and that is just the best experience that you can have <laughs> when you are able to uh, help uh, caregivers make those connections and um, enact a, an approach that offers them the opportunity to feel good about what they're doing and feel like they can keep uh, or have their family members stay at home longer. But there's so many, you know, so many strategies that are out there or that we have used or that are unique to each uh, caregiving situation. And that's why just going back to the coaching, coaching is so important because it is not as though there is, if this is the problem, these are the strategies. Uh, everything is really unique and tailored to each situation. And that's why I think uh, it can be so successful is that caregivers are feeling as though their needs are being met directly and we are addressing exactly what they have brought to our attention. But we have so many different, uh, there's so many different stories about um, facilitating um, activity. With TAP, I can think of um, some of the folks that I've uh, worked with myself where a caregiver because of dementia, as we know, initiation is one of the first, or lack, lack of initiation is one of the first symptoms that occurs. So caregivers can often interpret that as my mom can't do anything anymore, or my husband doesn't do anything more. All he does is sit around all the time. And once we evaluate and identify their functional cognition and what they can do, um, we can then help the caregiver understand that, provide activities that meet the person's abilities and match to the person and then offer a wife to all of a sudden see her husband be able to engage in a craft or woodworking or engage in what he used to do he was an architect and now he's sitting at the table again drawing that is you know that is a wonderful um not only health outcome uh, quality of life outcome but um that's where being so rewarded by what we do comes through. You know, there's hundreds of stories like that uh, because I think we are approaching it from the uh, patient-centered and caregiver-centered perspective. And because occupational therapists and those that we train to deliver skills to care or cope or tap are experts in matching the abilities of the person with dementia with the demands of the activity, which as we know, that is what occupational therapists do. And because of that, we are able to change lives and help um, both the caregiver feel good as well as the person living with dementia. That's, that's awesome. It really um, is apparent to me without much experience in these programs, but the education and coaching approach as well as client-centeredness really helps you to achieve health outcomes that are positive for the client, 
but also really special and impactful to the caregiver and increase the caregiver's well-being and quality life along with the client. Yes. That's, that's a really special thing. And I wanted to ask, since coaching can truly make such a large impact, as, we, as we've heard you uh, share examples, how would you recommend an OT practitioner develop their coaching skills? So, yeah, you're saying, yeah, the coaching that we do with uh, caregivers. It's interesting you ask that because I'm, I've been more framing what we do. It has never been described, I think, in the literature as what we're doing as coaching. But I have a colleague here at Jefferson that is, um, is, a, is a trained coach. She's a researcher as well, and she is using coaching with, in her research with individual spinal cord injury. So I've been giving more thought to, we really are coaching the caregivers. I think that, you know, of course there's coaching programs I'm learning about that you, where you can get, where occupational therapists can become certified, I guess it would be, in coaching techniques. I do think inherent in our education and the way in which occupational therapists tend to deliver services is through um, coaching from the aspect that we don't necessarily tell the patient or our client what to do. We help them discover it themselves. We facilitate their resumption of activities and have them engage with us on what type of adaptive equipment or what might work best. Less prescriptive sometimes, I think inherently a lot of occupational therapists take that approach, wouldn't necessarily call it coaching, but I, I, I think part of the training um, that we offer when we talk about and train people in skills to care is that you must meet the caregiver where they are and the intervention, the delivery of skills to care cannot go beyond their limits at that time. And I think as a coach, part of learning to be a coach is the same principle is you have to understand where your client is. And if they are at point B, you cannot be delivering something at point D. I should say A and C because you can distinguish. You know, if they're at A, you cannot go to C until they're with you. And what we oftentimes do, I think even in traditional rehabilitation practice is that we have so much going on that we're trying to train and teach patients and their families at a higher level than they're ready to accept or hear. And then we tend to then say, they're not listening, they're not compliant, they're not following through on what I told them to do. And in reality, it's because they're not there yet. So I think coaching uh, demands, that approach demands that you understand where your client is and what they can tolerate, where they, can, where they are able to meet you, and you can then together Coaching is a collaborative process. You can together move along that trajectory. I don't know if I answered your question because I probably got off on a sidetrack. But um, learning, learning about coaching, you know, and the, the process of that really does reflect um, the philosophy that we use in, in our caregiver interventions because the core of it is really understanding where in this case, the caregiver or client is. And if you try to go beyond that, you're gonna get nowhere. And I think that's excellent advice to our listeners and, and any OT practitioners. And I also think that's uh, one thing that sets us apart in the medical field is 
being trained to understand where people are and being capable to meet them where they are at um, and collaborate yeah. with them to achieve better health outcomes. Um, and it sounds like your programs are have that same goal in mind. Yes, and just to say, just the model that we do use for placing the caregiver on that continuum is the transtheoretical model, which is health behavior model, as I'm sure you know. And it really helps to, it helps occupational therapists to say, the caregiver I'm working with is pre-contemplative. They don't even believe that their family member has Alzheimer's disease. I cannot begin to work with them on strategies for Alzheimer's disease if they don't believe that their family member does. The first thing I need to do is educate them. So it really does help to place them on that continuum to guide the intervention and the approach that you're going to take so you get buy-in, so you develop that rapport that we know we need to really work with the caregiver. One thing that I say to OTs all the time who might get frustrated about the caregiver's not listening, the caregiver's not following through. Um, uh, one question I always have is, are they allowing you to come back in their house? Yes, they are. Well, that is a step in the right direction. If a caregiver is still allowing you back into their lives and still interacting with you, you are on a good trajectory. The moment they say, don't come, I don't need you anymore, that's when you know they are stagnant in that trajectory of readiness to participate. So really, we have to kind of flip what, how we designate our success and how we designate the positive impacts that we can have. And truly, if someone's willing to have you come into their home again, and talk with them, work with them, you are on a trajectory that is establishing a rapport where a caregiver has the potential to move up on that uh, readiness scale and to work with you and to ultimately begin to understand um, how they can uh, utilize strategies and influence better you know, outcomes for the person that they're caring for. Thank you for bringing up um, the trans theoretical model and for all that advice that I think is really clear um, direction to how therapists can effectively work with people who have dementia. Um, and I wanted to ask you as well, um, if there are any other resources that you'd like to recommend uh, our listeners um, could turn to for more information. Um, well, I probably will say maybe two of the same that uh, Dr. Gitlin did. We have a, um, we've published a caregiver guide to dementia, uh, and it's, uh, you can, one can get it through all, uh, Amazon. It's uh, called the Caregiver's Guide to Dementia, using activities and strategies to prevent, reduce, and manage behavioral symptoms. It's based on all three of these uh, studies that we've been discussing, and it's written, what I like about it is it's written um, for uh, lay people, if you will. It's written really for the informal caregiver. However, we've gotten a tremendous amount of feedback from practitioners as well um, that it's a resource that um, OTs and others have used it's chock-a-block full of strategies. And uh, we actually, um, when people get trained in skills to care, it's one of the um, uh, manual, if you will, it, people receive uh, that book to use as a resource. The other area where I'll just highlight is 
activity resources. Laura Gidlin might have mentioned MindStart. That is a web-based company. It's, it's owned and run by an occupational therapist. And it's a website that sells some really great activities. And they're designated by the stage that it would, the activity would work best with uh, in terms of the dementia stage early on, mid and late stage. So that's a great resource. And also the Alzheimer's store is another resource. If listeners haven't heard of that before, the Alzheimer's store, again, online, they offer resources on about dementia and Alzheimer's disease, as well as adaptive equipment, as well as activities. They have a great resource of videos, DVDs, I guess I should say, of old TV shows and movies. And they have nice resources of DVDs, for example, of just looking at a fish bowl or looking at puppies playing, um, videos that intrigue someone with dementia but that are not complicated, that someone with dementia might sit and watch for maybe 15 or 20 minutes so a caregiver can, you know, have a little time to themselves or go to the bathroom or whatever the case may be. So Alzheimer's store really, if people haven't heard of that or gone there, that's a great resource to go to. Um, so I guess I would just highlight those resources. Those are, those are some great resources. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, again, we'll make sure that our listeners, if, if possible, can have a link to those in the episode description. Um, right. And I want to thank you again so much for your time. Uh, there's one last question that I uh, like to ask all of my guests. I call it our golden nugget segment. And mm -hmm. that's, if you could tell practitioners to do one thing, uh, what would it be? Well, I thought about this question. I, I think I have to reiterate what we were just talking about and uh, maybe I should have saved it for you to ask me this question. But I think, from my perspective, the golden nugget is to drop all preconceived notions and values and meet your client, in the case of what we're talking about here, the caregiver. Meet them where they are and don't expect something that uh, cannot be met at that time and don't judge their actions. Think of where they are, what they're going through, and be so sensitive to the experience that they're having at that moment and see if you can meet them there and then move them forward. And I think that's really, if you know, the most important over the years of training so many occupational therapists. I have said this many times, many and many times, and in many ways. You must step back and not judge and meet the caregiver where they are. That is some sage and some sound advice. And I just want to thank you again for sharing your knowledge and your expertise on how to OT. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Of course. Thank you for tuning in to our two-part episode experience investigating evidence-based interventions for OT practitioners treating clients with dementia. Please take just two minutes of your time and 
fill out our post-listener survey, which you can find a link to in the episode description and on the homepage of this podcast. Until next time.